0: listening to into the valley of phoenix suns podcast a part of the Brightside podcast network
1: welcome everybody into the valley i am ethan Shutt, joined by philip russell and ryan Shutt. and after a sickness ridden travel ridden no electricity or internet for some this morning uh Lots of haters really got in our way. Is that, isn't that
0: that right, Ryan? That's exactly what happened. The haters said, how can we bring down into the valley? And boy, they found a way for a couple of weeks, but we back, baby. We thought it was bad getting fired by our parent
1: company. <laughs> this, this is so much worse. Uh, yeah, we, we, we were in
0: meetings with Vox. That's what That's what it was. The last few weeks we were in meetings with Vox.
1: Yeah, that's what's been going on. But we are back and we are happy to be here. To bring in the new era of Phoenix Suns basketball, which sounds dramatic as I typed the episode title, but I'm like, I don't think anyone can really argue about it. It is officially kind of the start of a new chapter. When you think of the history of the Suns, however many years from now, much like the Nash era, what you could call the bubble Suns, the Valley Suns, the whatever, the Kevin Durant era has begun. And we are excited to talk to you about it. Philip. How are you doing? Good, sir.
2: I'm good, man. I'm really excited to talk about the Bucks game last Sunday, which is the not Kevin Durant game of the week, but I think there's there's a lot of good stuff to learn about the Suns, about their bench, and then of course about Kevin Durant against the Hornets and the Bulls. Let's put the cards on the table. My team, the Chicago Bulls, they're trash. The Charlotte Hornets. <laughs> They're also trash. So I don't know exactly how much we're going to be able to take away directly from those games, but I think we'll get some ideas. But I think, and I don't know if this is a super hot take, but I think the Bucks game from this week might be the most informative
1: about Phoenix as a team. I I agree with you. I don't, I don't think that's that's too spicy. And And we were literally just talking about kind of like, hey, we've missed a lot. How do we want to kind of get us back? where we need to be and kind of the gut reaction as well. People want to hear about Kevin Durant. Let's talk about the Kevin Durant games. But then you look at the slate since the all-star break, which for those who maybe haven't been able to watch, haven't been able to keep up, started with a game against the Thunder where a lot of people were like, oh, it's going to be, it's going to be the Kevin Durant game. It got flexed. Uh, it wasn't, it was just a game against the Thunder, but the Suns won uh, 124 to 115 then the game Philip mentioned on the 26th, the Bucks game, Suns lose by three, most entertaining game by far of, of the last week. And then the two Kevin Durant games, uh, Charlotte winning 105-91, and then the Bulls last night, 125-104. Uh, I'm excited to talk about that one with Philip because you can't talk about a Bulls loss without getting something entertaining from Philip. But we have... Like I said, a, g- a good slate. I wanted to just start with the Thunder game real quick before I ask a question that's guided towards the other three. Is there anything from the Thunder game that you guys did want to cover before I kind of just moved past it? Because I didn't want to be rude if one of you had some like insane deep dive that you picked up from the Thunder game. Go on mean, do, you, do you want one? I have one. Go for it, man. Okay, so the Suns... And you hear it in
2: every opposing broadcast right now. The Suns are a really good team in the mid-range. Suns started getting to the mid-range really easily in the third quarter. So what the Thunder did was they went to a zone to try to prevent that. The Suns immediately know what th- to do. This is at 9.30 in the third quarter against the Thunder. They overloaded one side with Josh Kogi and Devin Booker. CP. Took a pick, got it to Okogi, who slipped it to Book in the corner. Book drove off that. And then, as the defense was rotating, DA sliced down the middle for an easy dunk. So the Thunder were like, oh, our zone just got absolutely torched. Let's go back to man to man. At the very next possession, what did the Suns get? A wide open mid range jumper. So it was, it was just really fun to see how the Suns operate, how comfortable they are with teams flipping into zones. They know the sets they want to run, even against um, kind of gimmicky defenses. And it'll be interesting now to see if that cohesion keeps up with a new star player on the court with them.
1: Do you think, mm, I don't know how sidetracked I want to get here. Do you think the Thunder are going to be like good upcoming? Or do you think they almost tanked too hard?
0: I, it's I don't kind of like. Shea, I don't see a way to dig out of where they're at.
1: Shea is so good. <laughs> like, I just want to quick, quick aside. Like Shea gildas Alexander is phenomenal. Philip, you watched him. I think you were still pretty loyal to Kentucky back in those days. You've seen what he is putting up this season. I didn't. I didn't know if you'd already hopped off the Kentucky train there, but do you want him to leave the Thunder? Because I personally do. I want to give it at least till next year, right?
2: Like see what Chet Holmgren can do in whatever draft pick they get this upcoming year. And I like some of the pieces that they have. They just need to put it together and they need to put it together in a season where there's a clear direction for the team, where the team can all definitively say, like, we are trying to win this year. Mm -hmm. I don't think Shea has had that since the year he played with CP3. Shea is a star player i don't think he's a superstar quite yet but he's definitely a star in the league and josh giddy is a brilliant basketball mind so you have those two pieces who can be really helpful and then some pieces around them that are solid players i'm thinking especially of lou dort so because of that because you have two veritable players some pieces, you want to see them give it a go. And I just don't think we've seen that yet. And hopefully next year will be will be a season where we can all say, like, yeah, they're they're giving this a real shout.
0: I, I think it'll come down to two two things is like what is ownership's investment in Shea as the future of the Thunder? Do they want him to be that piece? And does, does Shea Shay want to be that piece? I think the conversation we're having about them is probably the conversation a lot of outside folks had about the Suns for a while with Devin Booker asking. You know, especially in some of those, you know, teen total win seasons like is do you blow it up? Do you move Booker? I, I think it's probably a similar co- conversation because Shea is an all star. Shea is an incredibly talented player. But does he want to buy in the way Book bought into Phoenix? And I think that's going to be part of it because we knew the whole time Book wanted to be in Phoenix early on. And that's been kind of the cool thing with Kevin Durant coming. He's like, I don't want to go join a super team. I want to build a super team here. And look what's happened. So I think some of it'll depend on like what what Shea Gilgis Alexander wants to do. If he sees OKC as his future, then potentially in a few seasons, like Phillips said, that could be a possibility. But I think he has to be bought into that idea. And I think the ownership has to be willing to build the the correct foundation around him to do that in the way we eventually got to see play out in Phoenix.
1: They also have two guys named Jalen Williams. Um From the same draft, I believe. I think that's my favorite Thunder uh, tidbit. Uh, But no, I I think you're right. Uh, I wanted to quick call out, I think, with the Thunder game kind of moving forward. We also have seen campaign's resurgence. I think if you're looking for something to kind of note as this week started and has gone on, campaign is back in the lineup. Landry Shamit is still injured and not playing. But um, it was good to see Cam come back. I thought he had a strong game against the Thunder, one that stood out to me just in a it's good to have this. We've missed this. Um, And I think we'll definitely, I'll be curious to see what that guard rotation looks like kind of moving forward, but let's, let's move in to, to the rest of the week here. Um, I know usually we, we kind of say, Hey, what's one thing that stood out to you? But my concern with that is you either pick a Kevin Durant game or you miss the bucks game in its entirety. So I want to talk about the bucks game real quick before talking about the what I'll just say, Kevin Durant games in general. And we can kind of pick and choose from that. The Bucks game, in my opinion, was one of the best games of the season. Uh, it was one where sons are without Kevin Durant and obviously without Cam and McHale now, a whole new world when playing what I would call like a true contender without the pieces they've kind of come to rely on. And the Bucks were without Giannis, but luckily their other superstar, Drew Holiday, decided to show up then. I thought the game was so much fun. It was one where I i think I tweeted early in the fourth, this is a win or lose, I'm happy game. Suns took a couple strong right hooks where I was like, this could get out of hand quickly. Yet they continued to battle. They continued to piece it together and ended up putting on a really good performance that just fell short, but it's down to a possession under a minute. Uh, shades of NBA finals kind of come back to you as you see Devin Booker going against Drew in in such a vital moment. I thought the game was great. I know a lot of fans have a hard time enjoying games that are losses. Uh, The Twitter feed was brutal with people talking about PTSD and all these things of I don't ever want to watch another Suns Bucks game. And I get it. But just as someone who enjoys watching good basketball, it was phenomenal. So um, before I kind of talk about some stuff that's maybe stood out to me, wanted to open up to you guys. Watching that Suns-Bucks game, you can go a million directions. You can go the Jay Crowder uh, revenge game. You can go with Drew Holiday. You can go with uh, Booker's late game heroic attempts. Just wanted to kind of open it up. Um, Philip. I know we talked briefly, so I know you've got a couple, couple things in mind. What's something that stood out to you from that Bucks game?
2: The Bucs are so good at defense, man. There were there were several possessions that stood out early on in the game with a little under seven minutes left. The Bucks shut down three distinct, we'll just say actions, three distinct actions from the Suns. They shut down a pick and roll. They shut down a post. And they shut down a cut off the post as well. And... There were other times in the game, so that was really good team defense. There were other times in the game where it was just one-on-one individual brilliance. Lopez, a phenomenal block on Booker late in, or no, on DA. It was on DA late in the quarter, late in the fourth. And what he had done, Lopez throughout the game had kind of given DA his little push shot that he takes, and he seemed to be conceding that. Like, DA, you're not going to come towards the rim I'm not going to step out so you can sidestep and hit a layup or a dunk so instead take your push shot take your push out all throughout the game late in the fourth quarter all of a sudden Lopez attacks that and closes out hard and gets a block on DA so little stuff like that and then he had the big block on Booker as well but their defense from Drew Holiday one-on-one on Devin Booker was phenomenal Drew Holiday is an insane defensive talent, and I thought he was wildly impressive on Sunday against Devin Booker.
0: Yeah. Ryan, what about you? For me, it kind of solidified my opinion that on Josh Kogi being the fifth starter, or at least kind of got me in the mindset to see that. And I think as we saw him the rest of the week, I think he fits really well in that. But his box score is never really going to be super flashy. He had a a really good night last night, so that's kind of an anomaly points-wise. But the dude is just one of those guys you can plug in, and he's going to do everything – at a hundred percent he's going to hit the boards hard he's going to try and facilitate he's going to get you a bucket when you need it I've really been impressed with him and, and I just I like the way he fills in those gaps and allows the other bigger names to fill their role and he's just gonna be like the utility guy and I think we saw that with Milwaukee and especially the last two nights with Kevin Durant on the floor
2: yeah my problem my problem on Sunday is that he got cooked late in the game he Okogi and he may not be that
0: that fourth quarter closeout guy, yeah, but at least that's to start, I think that's, that's I don't that's care that's who the, starts. He
1: doesn't need to close against a sure. Opponent. And yeah,
0: and I think that's completely fair.
2: And he might he might eventually. So, OK, let's let's go all the way back. I have been on bright side of the sun on the little fan table that we do. And even on this podcast, I have been a slow adopter of Josh Okogi minutes. There's no question, last night against the Bulls, Wednesday against the Hornets, he played well. He played his role well, even though he didn't shoot well on Wednesday, he was fine with what he did. On Sunday, down the stretch, he did not belong on the court. And that's, we'll get to this a little later, that's one of my fears come playoff time. Like, is Josh Okogie a playoff rotation player? And I think that's a big question. And I know I know, some of Sun's Twitter treats Josh Okoge and thinks of Josh Okogie as like a Drew Holiday, like a Walmart brand Drew Holiday. But he just wasn't that down the stretch. He didn't look comfortable. He missed a wide open tip-in in clutch time. Drew Holiday, who's not the fleetest of foot for a guard. He's a big, strong guard. He was blowing by Okogie. So he's going to have good performances throughout the rest of the season because like last night, he's left wide open against a team like the Bulls. But we have to see Okogi playing well or at least competently down the stretch against really good opponents. I think that's the next step. And from his trajectory this year, he'll probably do it but he's not there right now. If the playoffs started today, I would not want to see Joshua Kogi in clutch time in playoff minutes.
0: But I think that's also the value of having a, a Tory Craig who has that experience, having a Terrence Ross who brings that veteran leadership and has been in that position before. You don't necessarily need him to be that guy, but I think he, he definitely starts the game with a really nice tone and is going to be that kind of get your hands dirty kind of player that allows Booker and KD to kind of get in the flow of the offense and let him kind of do that dirty work to again to set the tone for the game not necessarily close it and I don't I don't I
1: don't have the same value of him that some people seem to as a one-on-one perimeter defender people think he's a clamps guy I don't I don't see it I think the phrase you're going to see a lot that I do agree with is a point of attack defender which is a lot of the times on the How are you going to handle the pick and roll? Are you going to fight through when needed? Are you going to know how to hedge hard and recover? He's got that. But I watched him one-on-one against Drew Holiday, and I said, he doesn't have that lateral quickness that I would expect a lockdown perimeter defender to have, right? Like, McHale has a different build, but McHale's got that. McHale could move his feet, not to the extent that some people talked about as well. Like, he wasn't, I I don't know who the best example of that could be Marcus Smart is pretty phenomenal in that in terms of just you go one-on-one in the perimeter, not going to get blown by often. But I I think Akogi brings so many intangibles, offensive rebounding being one of them, crashing the glass hard being one of them, being in the right spot, even if that is just in the corner on offense, like kind of knowing your role. But I'm I, i I'm okay if we want to jump on the like akogi's the fifth starter because I genuinely don't think it matters. I think people put so much value on the whole who's the starter thing. But I can go back to last season where Chris Paul was a starter, but closing games, there were times where we're like, yeah, but that's not our five. I am not ready to sign Josh Kogi up to be in the closing five. And I think that leads to a conversation that's also worth having within the Bucs game. We saw Terrence Ross get one of his longest runs. I thought defensively the effort was there, but it was clear he's still learning a new system. It was, it was clear his brain was processing, when do I switch? When do I not? When do I recover? But, which I'm fine with. It's, it's odd when you can watch someone think through. It's very clear in soccer. Soccer is one of the most fun ones where you can watch someone think really hard. Because they're on a huge open field, and a lot of times they're by themselves. And it's nothing but constant movement keeping your shape. It was funny watching Terrence Ross do that within half-court defense. Yeah. It was a lot of kind of shoulder checks, a lot of shoulder checks, a lot of points of communications, but the effort was there. And when he was in the right place, I thought he did well. So I'm not ready to write him off as a defensive liability. Offensively hit a couple big shots in that game. I think he ended up being one of the few plus shooters. Yeah. Three of five from the field, one of three Mm -hmm. from three. And just as a quick big picture of the game, Sunshot eight of 24 from three Buckshot 13 of 45. So that's 33% and 29%. And the Suns went 13 of 22 from the free throw line. So, like there were, if we wanted to do the really easy, like what lost the game, you're like, make your free throws, you win the game. Mm-hmm. That's fine. Let's throw it out there. We can move on. But I thought Terrence Ross showed that his name is at least on the list of, he does have a chance of fitting in somewhere. TJ mm-hmm. Warren hasn't showed me anything in his small stints to be like, Yes, he belongs now. There's time and he's recovering and whatever, but he, I'm not sold on Landry Shamit when healthy, I'm still wanting to give a good look. I'm still higher on Damian Lee than some people seem to have kind of just thrown him out with the Josh Akogi resurgence. I don't know what you even call it, but I think we have a grouping of guys that Monty Williams is going to have some hard work with in terms of either figuring out who's in the group and then what their role is within that group. Just- and Ryan, I th- I think you've still made a good point too. If if you're kind of, I, I was going to say gun to your head, but John Morant, let's maybe find <laughs> a new phrase there. Um, uh, everything on the table. If you're telling me, who do you want to be that fifth in closing minutes right now? I'm picking Tory Craig 10 out of 10 times because he is the one that I view as the one, like, I know what to expect from him, which means the other four guys probably do too. Everyone else, I still have the little bit of, well, is this going to happen? Is this going to happen? I don't know. Um, But go ahead, Ryan, didn't mean to kind of cut you off there. I was going
0: to say to your point about Monty's decisions, just to make a quick plug, uh, Kellen Olsen actually had a really good article coming out, I believe All-Star break, after some of the trades went, where early on in the season, Monty Williams talked about wanting to have about nine and a half, ten guys ready Uh, for the playoffs. And so Kellen Olsen kind of, it was almost a stream of consciousness article where he was just like himself trying to work through what will that look like? So we can share that on Twitter. It was a really interesting read as, as Kellen was just trying to work through kind of what that looks like. And so if you're kind of also interested in that kind of what, what are those rotations going to look like? What are those, um, you know, five to start five to close guys going to look like Um, it it was a, it was a fun read if nothing else. uh, And I thought it was pretty thoughtful um, as well.
1: D, uh, DM me that one if you yep, got a second. Got whenever me or Philip are talking, I want to share that because I like I like giving Kellen love because Kellen's phenomenal. Um, Philip, was there any other within that that kind of battling group that made a big impression? I know Baisley also got his first minutes, which were. I mean, I think we can that can be enough to talk about him on the podcast right now, <laughs> but like. Was there, was there anything else within that group that maybe left you either asking additional questions about the future of that? I don't know what we need to call that group. It's a bunch of dudes scrapping for, for minutes that don't go to someone guaranteed. Um, Do I'll ask you this first, and then I'm going to re-ask that question. Do you think campaign has kind of cemented his role as the backup point guard? Do we think there's any concern that that could shift? after kind of watching him coming back into the fold and seeing what that looks like, or do you think he might be trending towards that group? I, I did not love campaign this week.
0: Me neither Uh. for the record as the campaign stands.
2: I thought I thought his shooting was sporadic, but that's that's normal. That's,
0: yeah, campaign. And I
2: think his decision making left a little bit to be desired. Sometimes forcing passes to the post, sometimes shooting when a guy like Damian Lee was wide open against Charlotte. That happened a couple times. Uh, so I think, at least for now, he is he is the backup point guard because there is no other point guard on the roster.
0: And that's right. the difference. I, I think the question is. It, it, even if he's not fight, who else is there? The um,
2: problem, the problem for campaign though, is that uh, there's a very tall, lanky man yep. who can handle the ball very well, and seems to have a little bit of a little bit of a relationship. Little sparks are flying with uh, an Australian man, old jock man. They looked a, good last like, night. There's a KD jock connection that's that's bubbling. It's like watching The Bachelor. I, it's like oh, there's some there's some real chemistry here.
1: I don't have any other connection other than like we follow each other on Twitter with the folks over at PHNX, but they've got jock on their show. They've, they've been doing a lot with him. I want someone to ask him the question of like, so like we saw it on TV, but like, did you feel like you were getting some extra love? Cause it seemed like, like after he misses a free throw, Katie comes up from the other side to give him that pat and give him that pep talk after a good entry pass, or even jock attempts a move and it doesn't work out like, Katie seemed very, very uh, expressive in his support of Jock. Uh, And I I mentioned that to Philip. He was over here watching the game last night live. And and I thought he made a really good point about maybe why that value is. Philip, do you remember what what that one was?
2: Yeah, because the Suns are desperate for a backup big to be competent about as much as they're desperate for a backup point guard to be competent. So kind of to circle back, there's, there's a possibility that the Suns can figure out a rotation where they don't have as much need for a backup point guard because they have enough ball handlers who they can keep on the floor. If it gets to a point in the playoffs where you're staggering and at all times you have two of KD, Book, and CP on the court, campaign becomes a luxury instead of a necessity if the suns can figure out some good rotations to keep around especially a book kd lineup. So again, for now, yes, campaign is the backup point guard. I don't I don't know if that's going to mean 18 to 20
1: minutes a game come playoff time. That was kind of my takeaway was I think regular season role is going to be there. It it's hard for me to imagine any playoff rotation where it's not Chris, Stevin or Kevin with the ball. Like I feel like the point book slash point, Kevin slash point, whoever, like it's just going to be interesting. And I'm also really interested to see how Monty decides to stagger those rotations. Um, I think we're watching it happen with Kevin because of the minutes restriction. Mm-hmm. Like I, I think what we're watching is not what we should come to expect. Like, I think this is out of, necessity it's allowing kevin to get more of that connection with the jocks of the world which i love but i'm really intrigued to see what those rotations look like later on especially when you're playing a team that might be massive wing heavy uh where you're like all right is chris paul out there during some of these moments and if not what does that look like and then you're looking at book with one of the other guards that are in the group And then Tory, Kevin, DA, I don't know. I think Monty has a lot to decide between. And so I think, I think David over at the four point play had had tweeted earlier this week, or maybe it was right before the Kevin Durant return. He's like, I'm already dreading listening to people on Twitter. Get angry about rotations. He's like, people love to be upset about Monty already about rotations this is legitimately going to be the most obvious trial and error stint when it comes to rotations. They're figuring crap out because they just lost two foundational staples in their lineup. Add Jay from last year if you want to count a third. And have inserted Kevin Durant, you got to see what works and what doesn't. So I, that was one thing I did get to kind of enjoy, but still kind of left me wanting more, was Chicago and Charlotte. Like, that's not it. Like this is, this is team building, if nothing else with Kevin on the court, but it's, there's just a lot to figure out. And when we talked early, early in the season, we were kind of having like our goals for the year, or maybe it was new year's resolutions. I said, I want to have the rotation figured out with a month before the playoff start. That was, mm. that was my Right. I mean, that was in a pre Kevin Durant world, right. but I said, if the rotate, if the roster we have now is the roster we have come playoff time. Monty's got to have his crap together a month leading into the playoffs because then it's not rotation trial and error. It's system trial and error and process trial and error. And you're figuring out what works, what doesn't, what you want to kind of keep to yourself to bring out in the playoffs, et cetera, et cetera. That is scrapped.
0: It is now.
1: Yeah, it's now we have to figure it out.
0: The luxury we have, though, is even if rotations are messy, at the end of the day, you still have – Kevin Durant and Devin Booker who are going to get things done on the court. So even as you're trying to figure out, it won't be as much of a um, detriment kind of trial period as it would have been maybe early in the season without Kevin Durant. Like you still have two of the best players in the league on the floor. So even if everything isn't working exactly as it should, you're still going to be in the mix in games. You're not going to be getting blown out because you're trying to figure things out. Um, It's just a luxury. I think we've never really had before having, having those two guys or those two kinds of players uh, on the team. Yeah.
1: It's it Booker and KD. And I I think the Hornets coach made mention in his pre or post game. Like those are two guys that you can't afford to defend one-on-one. Like those are two guys that necessitate help. And when both of them are out there, it leads to what we saw against Charlotte to some extent, but really Chicago. Sorry, Philip, where it was just like, Zach Levine looks like deer in the headlights, saying like, oh, crap, what do I do? And so I'm excited for that. I had one weird historical question for you, Philip. I'm going to put you on the spot a little bit. As our resident Warriors stand during the true Steph, KD, Draymond, whatever. Can you ever remember in the playoffs the Warriors rolling out a five at any point that didn't have Steph, Clay, and KD? Like, were there times where they, I would say probably in bigger series, not like them slapping someone around in the first round. Like, did they ever go without a Steph or a KD or a Clay on the court? Cause I just feel like there's no way that ever happened. No, not, not one of those top three. But I also don't
2: think CP is at a level that Clay was at before his injury. Right. So I think the Warriors, Orris had even more of a luxury having, Prime three guys in that play. level, yeah. Yeah. So that that I don't know if that's exactly a one to one comp. I think the question might be, did they ever go without Steph and KD? And I, would I'm pretty sure it's it was
1: very rare, right, for them. Like it was. I remember spin- a lot of Steph plus mm-hmm. four bench guys or KD plus four bench guys when they were kind of doing their traditional first sub and late first quarter. Give mm-hmm. your guys the like a breather. And then they kind of figured out a stagger that allowed them to come back in, like, you know, all the fourth, eight minutes in the fourth. I'm curious what the Suns equivalent of that will be. Will there ever be a five that doesn't have KD or Book in the playoffs? I don't think so unless they're up by 15 or more. And I know Chris Paul's not on that level, but if there were a time where Book and KD came out, I feel like there's no way you're throwing campaign out there plus four. So it would have to be Chris, even if he's not at the producing level. It has to be Kevin and Devin. It has to.
2: Because as as good as Chris Paul is facilitating the offense, his playmaking isn't where Booker and KD is in terms of getting buckets himself. Mm Mm-hmm. So unless, and this would be weird from weird, unless it's Chris Paul with Da without KD. That was what Booker.
1: That's what I was thinking.
2: That's the only place where you can go. Yeah, maybe that makes sense if if you're in a series where you really want KD and Booker to be together for the majority of their minutes. Maybe you can roll out a CP Da and a bench lineup, hopefully heavy with shooting around them so that you're initiating pretty much everything out of a cpda pick and roll
1: yeah no i'm i'm in i'm intrigued it's one where we can speculate but at the end of the day i think we're going to watch monty's thought process play out with the rotations yep. we see in the next couple of weeks and i do think not to be too dramatic i think it's going to be make or break for the group which is my lame version of what i'm calling that just bench plus reserve whatever like I think it's in Monty's best interest to say, I gave Terrence Ross all the run that I think he's needed to make an impression in the next two weeks. If it's not there, it's not there. Every time I try him out from here on out, it's at a detriment to someone else's opportunity, and we can't afford that. But just looking at this roster, it, and I know people are not going to like hearing a Kogi being in the group. I definitely think he'll get minutes. What type is my point? But you're looking at a Wainwright. Is Wainwright going to touch the floor in the playoffs? Some people say yes. Some people say no. Uh, Jock, Campaign, Damian Lee, Terrence Ross, not a chance basically touches the court. Uh, TJ Warren, I think Bismack is completely out of the picture aside from foul trouble with DA. That's the only reason I could see him coming in. Or, which almost ties to foul trouble, you're going against a Jokic, an Embiid, a whoever where fouls are almost just a part of the defense, then yeah, he might. And then Sabin Lee, so whatever. So you're looking at seven. That's a group of seven guys that I don't think have a defined role or a defined kind of minutes total within the rotation. So it's going to be fun kind of tracking that just from our perspective as the ones who don't have to make decisions, seeing what that looks like. Uh, before I move to highs, lows, and just so you knows, I had one question that uh, I think... Plenty of answers are out there and they're all could be right in their own way. After watching the two games with Kevin Durant, who do you think is going to maybe step up more, uh, take advantage of maybe a new opportunity, a new outlook that's been provided? Uh, the one, the, the reason I kind of had this question come to my mind was because of Jock's performance. Jock in those two games to me, he went from, in my mind, being a there's a great chance that there are some series in the playoffs where he might not touch the court. Uh, depending on who you're playing, maybe it's just a couple reserve five minutes. Maybe the reserve five minutes goes to a Tory, it goes to a biz. If you're playing someone big, jock could be phased out to some extent. Very valuable. Shooting look better, but still with KD out there, on the other hand, I said, oh, there's there's something here. Because KD not only, I think, just realizes that we need a backup five with value, I think he sees value in Jock of the always going to make the right read, fights like crap for the offensive boards and defensive boards. I think his post-offense, just in kind of his skill set and the moves he has are better than maybe you'd expect. And I think he does a great job handling an entry pass and making a quick decision with it which is something that we have another center who frustrates me at times for not excelling. So for me, I watched those two games and I said, "Ooh, I'm going to I'm going to watch what happens with Jock here." Cuz again, we talked about it. If you're staggering KD and Book to make sure one of them's always out there, that means both of those dudes are not always running out there with the full starting five. So I think Jock could absolutely be elevated by Kevin. And the one thing I think that looks even better for him is if it is Kevin out there with Jock and no DA, Kevin's rim protection has already jumped off the screen, which shouldn't be a surprise to any of us. His ability to be the help side defender and help around the rim, I think, helps where Jock might not always excel against some certain types of players where you can't maybe body him. But if you have the help side defender coming in that's 7 1 with a 7 foot 10 wingspan, like that's allowed. So Jock was kind of the reason I, I thought of this question, Philip. It might be Jock for you as well, but but who do you think is is going to really really benefit from it? Because I, I can think of a couple others as well.
2: The fifth starter. So for now, Okogie. Look at last night's game. Wide yep. open, wide open, and then I think the Suns might. I think Kevin might enjoy the Suns' second unit a lot. He seems to like um, Jock. He mm-hmm. has a connection with D. Lee. So whoever the main shooter is, if Kevin keeps playing with the second unit, specifically Damian Lee, I think we'll have an opportunity, even if it's not wide open threes, it's going they're going to be very easy uh, opportunities to attack closeouts because the closeouts are going to have to be pretty fierce because they're helping on a Kevin Durant pick and roll, a Kevin Durant drive to the basket. So that kick out pass is going to be a really dangerous play. And you would hope that a guy like Dee can take advantage of that with getting his shooting back on track and then continuing
0: his attacking of those closeouts. Yeah. Ryan, what about you? Jock was the one that immediately came to my mind. And this one might be a little optimistic, but, I'm hoping it could unlock something in Ayton. Ayton has never he was, had less he was pressure. My th- yeah, he
1: was my third name. to
0: perform than he does right now. He can go nights like last night where he only had 7 points and 3 rebounds and nobody's talking about it. Nobody has like he he's almost an afterthought in the <laughs> offense at this point, which is again another luxury we have now because Ayton for the most part this season has been playing very well. He can be frustrating at times, sure, but I think having a, a A gravity of a player like Kevin Durant could really free Aiden up to just play with zero pressure and just go out there and do his job and benefit from Book and KD both getting those doubles, being able to move freely more than he had. Uh, And again, maybe that's optimistic, but I'm hoping we could really see something come uh, of DA's game because of it.
1: No, I, I think you're spot on. I mean, when I had the question in mind... If I ever ask a question, I try to at least think of three good answers just in case. DA was my was my third. Um, I thought the Charlotte game was, it was very eye-opening in terms of how easy it can be for him mm-hmm. when he's surrounded by those guys. I mean, he put up, I think, 16 and 16, something around there. But outside of, I just rewatched the game with Philip this morning outside of like a 12 to 14 footer on the baseline and maybe one quick jumper on the free throw line, everything else was within like four feet of the basket and easy. Like it wasn't, I'm well, you know him, he's never going to like body someone and back them down. Like he was getting the ball in a place that was very good for him to do what he does well. Mm -hmm. Uh, And that took out. And I had, I had a similar thought. I'm going to be honest after the game last night, in a world where Kevin Durant is not the story right now, and maybe in three weeks, Suns Twitter will be back to Suns Twitter, but DeAndre Ayton going 27 minutes and having four field four goals, shots, yes. four field goal attempts. I was like, it's crazy, and, any, and no free throws. And nobody I was like, cares. Or sorry, not no free throws. Sorry, uh, four free throws. Any other week, people are crapping themselves, but now it's like, okay, that's fine. Like that's great. Like that is that's phenomenal for him. I'm hoping. To be able to not be so highs and lows, and the the fouls last night weren't ideal either. But it it things were pretty in hand, except for the you Bulls man, they made things interesting there in the second. Right, Philip, go Bulls!
0: Oh, no, we're getting nothing. We are getting nothing.
1: All right, well, I love you very much. Hey, but Patrick Beverly um, looks
0: good. <clears throat> No,
1: he, he got a technical from the bench. All right, let's, let's move on to our highs, lows, and just so you knows of a Kevin Durant-led Phoenix Suns basketball team. And Philip, I'm going to let you go first on the high.
2: Thanks, man. You're welcome. There is, there is so much space on the basketball court right now. And one of the reasons that Suns fans would be dumb to be bad at Deandre Ayton after last night or even overly critical of him. So one he was playing with foul trouble, that happens. Yep. But then the second thing is there were at least I tracked it throughout the game. There were at least 5 times throughout the game where he put it didn't sig- get it. Yep. Yeah, he didn't get the ball, but he's putting significant pressure on the rim with his rim runs and these are the passes that When you're watching the broadcast, it's a pick and roll with CP or book and they whip a pass that for a split second, it looks like it's a high quick pass to DA and then it carries over to the weak side, whoever it might be in the corner. Again, the last couple of games, that's been jock wide open. That pass to the corner is wide open in part because DA is filling the lane and he's filling the lane really well with his, with his rim pressure and that's that's a part of the space that's not just Kevin Durant creating the space that's not just Booker creating the space that's DA being a threat with his rim run so Booker's brilliance in the mid range Kevin Durant's CP's facilitating and DA's rim running contributes to how wide open it seems at times but then the Suns are also running Beautiful sets. My favorite one was against Charlotte, where the Suns ran kind of a, or no, it was against the Bulls last night. The Suns ran a double drag in the first quarter. So CP has the ball on the left wing. Kevin Durant and DeAndre Ayton set screens for him. DA rim runs off of it. KD spaces to the wing and then Booker lifts from the corner. You have Devin Booker spacing out one of your standard sets, just spacing out the classic like, hey, someone's going to be in a corner, Scalabrini, Matt Bonner, those kind of guys that role in some of the sets for the Suns is Devin Booker. That means the lane at times, it's going to be like the Red Sea because there are going to be moments where teams won't leave Devin Booker teams sell out to KD, teams refuse to let Chris Paul get an open mid-range jumper, there is going to continue to be so much space on the court. And I think that is, it's going to be really fun to watch even how some of the Suns normal sets continue to operate so well because it's such an open floor.
1: I'm, I'm very hopeful because of everything you just said that Josh Okogi or Tori Craig can have one of those Jay Crowder, like three point shooting streaks in the playoffs. Yeah. Because I think one of those two dudes currently it could be Damian Lee, maybe, but I think one of those two dudes because the playoffs adds another level of intensity and gravity to a superstar. I think what was, I would say a pretty open shot for Josh Kogi in the corner is going to be a wide open shot for Josh Kogi in the corner. So I'm hoping those dudes are in the gym every night, standing in the corner by themselves, just getting shots up. Because I think they are going to be there the entire time that Kevin Durant and Devin Booker are playing together in Phoenix. So no, I I think you're spot on. But to that, it's going to be one of two places.
2: It's either going to be Da in the short role or Okogie, Torrey Craig, somebody in the corner. And I was actually talking with David um, on Twitter a couple weeks ago, and we. Or a week or so ago. And we were going, we're thinking about where where defenses decide they want the ball to go. And those are really your two best options. Do you want it to go to a corner with whoever that fifth player is? Do you want it to go to them lifting up from the corner closer to the wing? Or do you want to say, all right, big fella, you've been consistent throughout your whole career. Let's see if you, DeAndre Aiden, can actually beat us tonight, or let's see if you can beat us for an entire for an entire series in the playoffs. And that's going to be really fun to watch to see which of those two options teams want to force the Suns into. Yeah. Ryan, what about you? What was your high
1: for the week?
0: Uh, We've already touched on a little bit, so I won't spend too much time, but it was just the way Kevin Durant elevated the bench. One of my concerns looking towards a playoff run was I just didn't think our bench as it was was at the caliber it needed to 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 be to to fill in when needed and, and to play quality minutes in a playoff run. But after watching the way Kevin Durant makes all those guys better and allows them to do more because of who he is, I automatically feel better about what our bench looks like. Uh Jock Landale what we've already mentioned was was a highlight especially last night. Um, but I just think that it's it's amazing how adding one player Can make other players better just by being who he is. And and I think the difference of having a a staggered lineup where it's KD plus bench is going to be markedly different than the times that we've seen even earlier this season when it was like Cam Johnson and Mikhail plus bench what Kevin Durant brings to that bench unit is going to be huge. And I I feel so much better at this point, obviously things could change, but after what I've seen so far, I feel so much better about the, the resources that we have on our bench, regardless of what that looks like and who that is because of that stagger with KD playing with them.
1: Yeah. I mean, it was hard not to like a lot of what you saw. I would think, um, my my high is just I I'm excited about being a contender again. And I know some people are going to be like we were always contenders. That's that's cool if that's how you felt about it. Um we No it's not. We've no, it's not. W- made it I listen, if you've been listening to the podcast, I feel like we've made countless <laughs> arguments about why that was never the case, and if they choose to keep listening to us while not believing us, that's cool. That
0: was Thank you. Such for an me. aggressive no. Thank you no, for coming. They were, but they
2: were delusional early this year. If you thought the Suns were actually contenders, sorry. Carry on, Ethan. Pardon the interruption,
1: as some might say. So anyway, uh I think we're actually contenders now. Yes, and that's a good feeling to have. And I don't care about. Vegas odds and ESPN articles. I'm talking about watch the game and you say, yeah, this team is legit. And the lack of clarity of what the playoffs and standings are going to look like is definitely going to be a fun storyline as the season progresses. The Nuggets, I think, are locked, if not near locked to the one seed. And then immediately following, you have Grizzlies, Knicks, Suns, Warriors, any of them could switch in, in my mind at this point. And then after that, you, you still have other groups that could kind of creep up if anyone falls out of grace. So it'll be interesting. And then in the East, I think you have an absolute guaranteed finals team in the Milwaukee Bucks, who, by the way, their win over the Suns was their 14th straight. And they were continuing to bring the heat without Giannis, their defense, in my opinion, has continued to get better, which is very frustrating. And Brooke Lopez is stepping up in a way that allows the rest to continue. I think they look great. I think there are, I think the East playoffs will be fun. I think they're going to have a lot of fun storylines with the, will they, won't they Sixers? And if they're going to blow up, will the Celtics make the jump? There's a lot of good stuff going on in the NBA. That makes me happy. I like that my team happens to now be a true contender in the eyes of most people who, you know, whatever. So that's my high. I'm, I'm thrilled to be in that spot. Uh, let's, let's do a quick shift to the lows. I think we've all touched on some things that are frustrated us this week. Uh, Ryan, what was your low for this week?
0: Mine's kind of a backhanded low. Um, and it's that it's, I have felt like the guy who goes to his ex-girlfriend's wedding and is so happy for her, but in the back of his mind, he's just like, man, I I really miss you. It's been so cool to watch Mikhail and Cam Johnson thrive in Brooklyn. And at the same time, so heartbreaking, because I love them both so much. And And I miss they keep them. losing. And they keep losing. But in, in already, in, Mikhail has games of 38, 21, 31, 24, and 45. Cam Johnson has games of 20, 33, 27. Like, they're doing great. And I just, I want the best for them, and I miss them. And it's just really painful to see them succeeding somewhere else while also being really happy that they've shown up and now everybody in Brooklyn loves them.
1: I think I agree. I want you to know, I agree. I think it's also very clear that they're now in a place that doesn't have a superstar. A hundred percent. That takes those opportunities. 100%. So people are like, wow, they've improved. No, they it's haven't. Like, no, like, there's just nobody else. That's why we loved them. We loved that they were super good and were filling the roles they were. But when people were talking about, like, oh, we're going to make the jump whenever McHale starts scoring 20-something and Cam starts scoring 18-plus, you're like, that wasn't going to happen with the Suns. The ball can only go so many places, so many attempts in a game. It's not happening. And I'm happy for them that they are together and happy. uh, Losing, unfortunately, but together and happy. Check yourself. They beat Boston last night, man. I think they were 1-6 to start their run with the Nets, though but yes they have maybe turned around probably not we'll see what happens uh philip what about you low for this week
2: so kogi and campaign so we don't dump on them again i just don't know i just don't know who belongs in big playoff games as that fifth starter and then as the backup point guard or ethan i think you helpfully put it the fifth closer i don't know who that guy is i again i've eaten crow a lot on this podcast this year I am so impressed with Josh Okogie's improvement. I'm glad we were right at the beginning of the year when we said his shot looks better than a 30% three-point shooter. All that stuff has been phenomenal. I just don't know if he's the guy in the playoffs. And I hope the Suns figure out, and I hope they have games where Okogi can either prove or clarify that he is or isn't that guy for the Suns.
1: Yeah, I my yeah, my low is kind of just the lack of clarity that we're gonna have to be dealing with. Uh Elliot in the comment, Mikhail scoring twenty would have probably continued with CP3 getting older. I think you're right, but I don't think the wins would have increased because of it, because it's that addition by subtraction kind of mindset there. Um but I, I think you're right. The ability was always there. We always knew that. Um But yeah, I'm I'm kind of in a spot where I'm not looking forward to Twitter and the media people and all the stuff about – I worded it this way this morning. Some people seem to be running political campaigns for certain people to have minutes where it's like, this is my vote. Let me make it happen. And at the end of the day, we don't decide. We, we watch, we observe, and we provide analysis to some extent. I don't think we're going to know for a bit. Like, I think it's going to be some we sit and wait and there's going to be some closing fives. We're like, how did we get here? And that's OK. Like, it's part of the process. Uh, but I'm I'm kind of excited just to see guys have opportunities that are kind of make or break in terms of like, all right, this is this is your time to prove that you belong in this spot or that this could be your role. Yeah, Phil. And silver lining Do you remember last year in the finals? I
2: can't remember which game it was. It might've been game three or four where the Warriors, the Warriors sat Draymond for an extended chunk of the game and they just rolled with Kavon Looney. He was playing great. He grabbed a ton of rebounds. That game was playing good enough defense. And afterwards, Draymond was like, it's fine. And the very next game, he comes out and has a yeah. typical Draymond, awesome Draymond game. I wonder if that's more the trajectory of the Suns heading towards the playoffs, where this is a bit of a cop-out, but I think it works, especially when you're deciding between guys like Okogie and Craig, who seem to fill noticeably different roles. They have some similarities, but also different roles. I think what, what we could wind up seeing is, it depends. If you're playing a team like the Mavs, it's probably going to make more sense that it's Tori if the job is to guard a Luka.
0: But oh, if you're yeah. playing,
2: I'm- if you're playing a more guard heavy team, maybe it will make sense to have Okogi in there. So I think I think the culture of the team, similar to the culture of the Warriors, could be to a point where we say, whatever the matchup dictates is what we can do. And kind of the mental gymnastics you do is we as a collective are that good where we can match up well against these different kinds of teams.
1: Yeah. I, when I said similar, I was thinking more kind of focused on that offensive side of things where I think their role is going to be the, I'm the guy in the corner. I need to hit my shots. And they both are our two best offensive rebounders. Yes. So like you're going to get that no matter what, but I agree. I think the size and the physicality is going to dictate it. Uh, B's in the comment kind of going back to the frustration with a great picture from the B movie here, um, which if you ever want to watch on YouTube, there's a version that every time the word B is said, uh, it speeds up. You're welcome. Uh, He says, perfect example. People were clamoring for Darius Baisley to get minutes. When he does, they complain that it came at the expense of TJ Warren. Yeah. I mean, that's it. That's the, everyone wants the one person and, till it's not the other person you know it is what it is but i i agree completely uh in terms of kind of uh just so you knows i feel like this really this one could go a bit of anywhere so uh ryan as the resident who knows where this is going uh what you got
0: for you just so you know for me uh mine is not subs related but it's certainly basketball related. yeah baby give it to Um, me the, the, the uh, villain arc of Ja Morant is just crazy to me. And if you're not keeping up with that, um, it's looking really sad. And I hope he gets some better people around him because right now things don't look good. Uh, ever since he said he was fine in the West, he has not been fine in the West for a number of reasons, uh, including uh, apparently pulling up on some kid with his uh, entourage, uh, going on Instagram last night and holding a gun to his own head um i don't know what's going on with the guy i don't know if he feels like he's got something to prove or needs to prove that he's got some he, edge hey, he's to just him. like you man he's just trying to get at the hate <laughs> maybe it's the haters i don't know but it, and we're laughing but like to me it honestly is kind of really sad to see because um as a as a murray state guy like i i've kind of been pulling for him i think it's cool to see the success he's had uh, and the last year's just been really disappointing out of the kid. So I hope he gets some better people around him. I hope uh, maybe the league takes some action at some point just to give him some time maybe to to reset and and reframe what what he is choosing to do with his life. Uh, but right now it's got a very uh, Gilbert Arenas with a gun in the locker vibe. And uh, I'm not about it. The league's better than that. The league's moved past that. Uh, and maybe he just needs to grow up. I don't know. But it's uh, it's a rough look.
2: I think the Memphis organization needs to grow up as well.
0: 100%. Like,
2: start, hold, start holding your guy accountable. So I work, in, I work in secondary education. So we have star athletes. We have good players. We have people who are going D1. Like, it Like is terrible for young people to give them a free pass because they're the star on your team. That is, that is one of the worst things that you can do. And when you see that happen, what you're doing as an organization, what you're doing as a school, if that's what you're doing, is you are setting them up to flame out in a monumental way down the road. And that's what I'm worried about for Memphis is that if you don't hold this kid's feet to the fire, because he is, he's still a kid. If you don't hold this kid's feet to the fire and say, hey, you better grow up. And let's get right. Let's start acting like a professional. Let's start acting like someone who has millions of eyes on him every time he steps on the court, every time he posts on Instagram. That's what you have to do as an organization. And really? if, again, if they're not, they're doing wrong for themselves and they're doing wrong by job if they're not holding him accountable and
0: you're sending a message to anybody else who's coming up, especially through the NCAA right now to come to the NBA. If you're like this, this behavior is okay. I think of the Alabama player recently who was involved in the gun violence, uh, and then what his first game back, they do the uh, the pat-down check as he's checking into the game. Something the they had done
1: like, all season. Well, he's yes. done it
0: all season. But if, if if all of a sudden the NBA is, isn't checking players on that or the Grizzlies aren't checking, you're sending a message to these guys coming up and being like, hey, we're cool with this. And that just sets a bad tone for the league. And it's sad and it's frustrating. But that's my just so you know, I'm sorry. Well, and it's, just ba- it's been on my heart. It's been frustrating. Well, even sad. just
1: basketball, it's like the Grizzlies as a team are trying to adopt some reputation for being the the bad boys. I mean, that's already been used so it doesn't work. but like that team that runs their mouth constantly, mm-hmm. one through five, Dylan Brooks fighting Shannon Sharp nonsense, like it it's interesting as the team has gone that way that the leader of that team has unfortunately continued to move further away from what seemed to be the like fun human highlight player, and that was kind of where it stopped. Uh, Into what this is, so yeah, um, we'll 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 do the old hard pivot, aka the host isn't good at transitions, so he just says it out loud. Uh, I changing
0: subjects.
1: Thank you. My just so you know is a prediction, gentlemen. Prediction. And what I love about predictions, we writing it down. We don't have enough loyal listeners to hold us accountable to them. (laughs) Prediction. As of right now, the Phoenix Suns ranked twentieth in the league in three point attempts per game coming in at 32.6 in order to crack the top 10, they would need to get up to 34 and a half threes 34 and a half threes per game. Lots of numbers going to keep messing up my prediction by the end of the season. The Suns are going to be, I'm going to say, I'm going to go ahead and just say top 10. The problem with the weighted numbers here, and now we're getting a little too nerdy. You're technically assuming that a change in the last third of the season can outweigh the weight of the first two thirds. That's what makes this a little riskier than being like, yeah, they'll probably chuck up a couple more. So I'm not sure how it's going to work. But here's, here's what came to me. And if you're like, oh, Ethan probably saw something in the numbers against Charlotte and Chicago, one of them, yes, one of them no. They hardly shot any threes in one of those games. But I think. The rotations, the gravity of some players that are being added, I think we are going to get to a point where Monty in practice is like, my brother in Christ, if you are that open in the corner, you have to shoot. It is the right decision because it's within the flow of the offense. I think we're going to see an increase. I don't know how big. I'm going to throw it out there because it's fun. But I think the Suns are going to be shooting more threes, and they will be good decision open threes. Because I think that is something that's going to come from the pull and the help of Kevin Durant that Mikhail never warranted and Cam never warranted. And it's going to lead to the Damian Lees, the Tory Craigs, the Josh Okogis getting an extra half to one, three a game. And those are going to stack up because they're not going to go anywhere when those guys are constantly in the rotation to some extent. So there's there's my just so you know. We'll see what happens. Uh, I think it's not surprising that the Suns rank where they rank. Uh, but I'm hoping that if that does continue, they will have the efficiency of a Kevin Durant shooting the ball because that boy is insane in terms of his field goal percentage through two games. And I'm hoping that sticks. Uh, but that, that's what I've got for you. Philip. bring us to a close, my man. What's your gist so you know? So we have big picture NBA. We have offense. Now for a
2: little bit of defense. I really like Kevin Durant and DeAndre Ayton in pick and roll defense together. There were a couple times where it was mainly against Charlotte, where Gordon Hayward, just a bigger player, is being checked by KD, and then they put Gordon in a pick and roll, because that's how so many offenses work in the league, and the Suns just switched. And I love that idea, because that's trusting both of those guys to be exceptional, and aspects of the game that might be underrated for them DA's ability to stay on ball to contest at the perimeter and then KD protecting the rim mm-hmm. if they're giving up that easy switch they're saying we're comfortable with D or with KD as the ball rotates around being the guy who's going to give the contest at the rim and I think that's great I think that can be really good so the person to watch in that will be DeAndre Ayton to see how he holds up against some of the bigger wings. And
1: we might even see it tomorrow against the maps. I'm excited for, I'm excited for tomorrow. I know that KD has already downplayed the like, yeah, that's the league. It's all about stories with him and Kyrie. I'm less concerned about that aspect. I'm more interested in just watching those two teams play Given given that probabilities seem that there is a chance that those two teams could be horribly, Uh, matching up in the playoffs once again, which would be be great for Suns fans. Definitely no anxiety or horrible memories there. Uh, Guys, we're at the hour mark. I feel like we covered a lot uh, about pre-KD, post-KD games the last couple of weeks. Um, Anything else that we need to to mention or talk about? uh, We are going to be recording uh, live again next Saturday morning, 10 a.m. Central Time, just like before. Uh, Mike, have a guest might not figuring that out right now we're just working on some scheduling stuff uh but we'll definitely be here for that guys anything else before we bring it to a close
2: go
0: son i got, I got nothing else let's do this we out wow. i stole it stole it stole it yes
1: i've waited all right philip anything else that needs to be added to the podcast now that ryan is off the screen at the risk of sounding redundant, go sun. I am Ethan, and for Philip and Ryan, this is Into the Valley, the Phoenix Suns podcast. We out. Love you so much.